to the Bedpost Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Erin Pym, and what I usually like to do on the podcast is bring fun and f- sexy guests. I'm <laughs> like, what do I do? Fun and f- f- fun and flirty guests? Maybe that's what I was going to say. Um, I usually have a guest on, and I interview them about sex and sexuality. But here's the thing. Today, it's just me, baby. We're doing... This is very... Patreon episode vibes today. Um, except I am going for the full hour. If you are a Patreon subscriber, um, or if you want to be, it's patreon.com slash the bedpost show. What I do on there is like little 30 minute solo episodes. And it's usually um, about, you know, professional sessions. I talk about uh, being a dominatrix and um, some memorable stuff that is happening uh, while at work in the dungeon. And then, you know, also personal relationship type stuff. I'm a polyam queer person. Um, and, uh, I, I get up to a lot of shit. (laughs) So yes, um, solo episode. It's going to feel a lot like that, except I'm giving you double for your money, baby. Um, and, and I mean, in this case, this is a regular episode, so you didn't even uh, double for your, um, nothing. (laughs) Um, but what happened was I finally got fucking COVID. So I had a couple episodes, uh, like, like scheduled podcast recordings with guests that week because I was well aware that I was going to go away to Quebec. Um, so I was going to try to bank a few episodes as I usually do with guests, um, so that I could release them slowly, you know, while I'm out out of town, but I got COVID right beforehand. So I had to cancel all those and then I went away. So here I am, you know, with no episode banked and I've got to release it tomorrow. (laughs) So I was like, okay, what the fuck can I do? And, um, usually in that case, it's like, call up a friend maybe who wants to do me a last minute favor. (laughs) Or, um, I was like, oh, I could do a Patreon preview and just, you know, choose a Patreon episode and air that. And then I was like, no, it would be fun though, if I did a Q and A. So that is what I've decided to do. And depending on how many questions I got, you know, I was either going to include another thing or not. But what I'm seeing is like people submitted so many questions. Basically, I just did an Instagram story. And I asked there if people had questions, if they could help me out and create an episode (laughs) for this weekend. Um, And then on Twitter, I put out that same call, and I got a bunch on both. So I feel like I can probably fill an hour. So hooray. Hooray for me and hooray for you and hooray for all the lovely people who wrote in and asked uh, questions. Thank you so much. 
So just for context, I asked um, if people had questions specifically about sex work, uh, because I'm a sex worker, I'm a professional dominatrix. Um, uh, kink, I believe I said, which I'm a kinkster in, I'm a lifestyle kinkster, I'm a switch. Um, so I do it all. And, and then I obviously also do that in at work too. And then what was the other thing I said? Sex? Nope. I said power dynamics because, um, you know, kink is not always about power dynamics. Dynamics. So yeah, kink, power dynamics, and sex work. So that's what I asked for, and that is what I got. I will, um, if this is the first time you're hearing me do a solo episode, um, my... (laughs) You will, you will hear... Uh, my stomach growl. Um, don't let it distract you. <laughs> That's all I'll say. I'm fine. I'm not starving. I just am going to eat lunch when I'm done doing this. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, let's get going with these questions. I'll do maybe the Instagram ones first and see how far we get. So, okay. On Instagram, I was asked, what kind of kinks from other parts of the world have you seen on vacation days? So maybe that was a, uh, a question that was spurred by me, me saying I'm getting back from vacation. But honestly, um, I just went to Quebec. <laughs> I went one province over. And I actually haven't traveled a ton around the world. But um, and and if I have, then I'm usually going to be traveling with my husband who is not a kinkster. So, you know, it's not like we're going to be doing kinky shit and, you know, getting to like going to kinky events or, um, you know, getting infiltrating the kink community, you know, around the world. So unfortunately, this first question, I'm not totally able to um, answer. Honestly, the most I've done is like, when we were, my husband and I were in Amsterdam, you know, we went through the red light district. Like, that's about where we're at as far as my husband and I traveling together. So, um, yeah. My second question says, how do you engage your partner about pegging for the first time? That's a really great, great uh, question. And it's, there's not a super simple answer for it. In fact, I think Shahrazad is teaching a class on like these types of conversations, you know, uh, whether it's coming out like in the traditional sense and the traditional meaning, or it's coming about coming out about things like being uh, a kinkster and um, like, yeah, a particular fetish that you have, perhaps, you know, because those are high risk conversations to have, right? When you're having this conversation with a partner that you've already been with, um, and you maybe you discovered you're super kinky, or you discovered a fetish along the way, and you didn't kind of front load this information. Um, like for me, with dating, I'm like front road the shit out of all this information. Anything that is going to be potentially be a hard limit for somebody, um, or information that is going to be, you know, a hard no. Um, I, I, I 
like my advice is to disclose that as soon as possible. Um, for me, I put a lot of that stuff right in my bio so that it's already screening out people that aren't interested in that sort of, that sort of thing. Right. Um, like for me, for instance, like I'm a polyamorous person, so I would never, and that I'm, you know, I, I have a husband. That's something that I would never like, you know, leave out. Um, I need to know that people are on board with that, like before I even meet them. So if you're, you know, new dating, that's what I recommend. But if you happen to get yourself in the situation where you are partnered with a person and you haven't told them, um, then it's going to be a little harder because it's high risk, right? Because at that point, maybe you're not aware uh, of whether this is going to be a hard no for the person, right? Um, what I do in that case, or what I would do, is um, I float the idea, um, but in the way of like, oh, I saw this video somewhere, um, you know, like, I don't know how sex positive your relationship is and how much you talk about sex, but you know, maybe you watched a pegging porn and you thought it was really hot. Maybe online, you know, you follow a sex positive person or maybe like a sex educator or a dominatrix and you wanted to share this post with them and be like, um, you know, what did you think about that? That's kind of a roundabout way to get their like test the waters surrounding it, right? Um, but what I was going to say before is like, Sharazad teaches a class on doing exactly this, because it's a really nuanced thing to like disclose, right? Um, and I've also had like disclosure conversations like um, Ella Dawson comes to mind, if you want to go back and kind of listen to that episode, Ella Dawson talks about um disclosing that you have herpes and that's a really great episode that might give you a bunch of information as far as uh, this is going to go like something she says specifically is that why don't you have a time where you're like why don't we you know let's have a conversation where we disclose stuff about each other you know what I mean? So it's not about I have this information that I'm unloading on you and you can either you know like accept it or reject it. It's like, let's have this mutual conversation. I'm sure you have some stuff that you haven't told me and I have some stuff that I haven't told you. So let's like book a time where we can have this mutual exchange of information and ideas. Um, and, you know, let's also try to frame this conversation as not a huge, big, scary thing. You know what I mean? Like even when Ella talked about disclosing herpes, which a lot of people, um, might be really scared of that conversation. She's like, listen, like herpes are so common and it's not a big deal. So like, I don't, I tr really try not to work up this conversation in my head. You know what I mean? This conversation can be had as casually as anything else. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, I'm interested say, let's go back to pegging because that's what the question was about. It would be like, hey, um, I'm kind of curious about pegging. Um, is there anything you're curious about? Um, you know, and, and just being like, I've been doing some research about pegging. Perhaps that's the thing. You know what I mean? And I'm kind of interested in trying about what do you think? Uh, trying it. Um, what do you think about that? Um, and it's like, 
you know, welcoming the person to ask you questions about it. You know, it's like, if you want to go away with that information, kind of research it yourself. I'm cool with that too. I'm here if you need me. Like, let's teach, touch base about this later. So that is my kind of long-winded answer about how to engage your partner about begging with you for the first time. <laughs> I know, I mean, there's so much information surrounding like I taught a class called everything to do with pegging and it's a two and a half hour class. So like, you know, from there, there's a lot of stuff that you, I'm not going to say should do, but like want to be aware of and stuff like that to actually go through, go forward with pegging if they are interested. Um, yeah, you can do a lot of, just like a lot of information online will be super helpful. Um, or you can like book a consult with a sex worker or a sex educator to give you that information. Um, yeah. Yeah. So moving on. What is a must have when vetting new clients? Just found your pod. Love it. <laughs> That's nice. Vetting new clients. Um, my vetting process is a little different probably than other people's. I mean, everybody, all types of sex workers and even all types of dominatrices, you know, have different ways of doing it and different things they vet and different needs and whatnot. Like for me, Shahrazad, my headmistress, does all the admin for people that are booking in the dungeon. People are, will only book through me if I've seen them before. So that's a really easy thing. They've already gone through the ritual chamber process. Like, so yeah, they just get you to fill out a form basically. Um, like Sharazad send you, sends you a form, ask for availability. It's just stuff like, have you seen someone before? She will take an ID, um, you know, and try to get that reference if you've seen someone before. And, uh, you know, there's a talk about briefly the things you would like to do and, uh, limits and boundaries and stuff like that, um, experience you've had. So you'll fill out that form with her and you'll send a deposit. And basically that's what happens with screening for ritual chamber. And, you know, if I was screening independently, it probably would look a lot like that, honestly. Um, yeah, they would have to definitely pay a deposit. That's a definitely a big thing. If it's a huge red flag, if they won't, if they won't pay a deposit. They're just not seeing me. Like that's it. So I guess if there is a must-have, that is it. They've got to pay the deposit. <laughs> there's literally no other way you could see me. You know, there's nothing else you could do if you're not going to pay the deposit. So I guess that's it. Next question is, what do you love about your job as a pro-dom? I, I like that question a lot because I think people, when they ask questions about sex workers, they often ask like the opposite question of like, what's the worst thing or the weirdest thing, you know, you've ever had to do? And it's like, wow, that's a really shitty question to ask. So I love hearing the uh, inverse to that question, <laughs> which is what do you really love about your job? For me... Um, I'm kinky as, I'm kinky as hell. So I really love that I have this space for myself to be kinky on a re really regular basis. And not only, not only that, but getting paid for it. You know what I mean? I find sex and sexuality and kink and all of this stuff so fascinating. So it's really like stimulating to me in a lot of different ways. Uh, one of those ways is like creatively, 
Um, for me, like my favorite thing is where the client, you know, is giving me some information, but other than that, they're like, so you do what you want with that information. Like that's the best case scenario for me, right? We kind of have an outline of the stuff we'd like to do, but then I'm also allowed to kind of, you know, flex my creative muscle and do what I do best, which is improvising, right? And making funny choices in the moment and being able to be like, you know, to to play in my own dominant voice, which is very playful and fun. Um, and if you follow me at all on any of my social media, I think you get a, a good idea of like of that. So, you know, if you're seeing me on Twitter, um, you know, and you book me, then you're getting this like fun, playful session. So I love that I have an outlet for all of those things. And, you know, that's why I made it my job. Next question. As a sex worker, what has been the largest and funniest slash fun learning curve over the years for you? Hmm. As far as like fun goes, I feel like just developing new skills. Like, for instance, like when I started at Ritual Chamber, I had a limited skill set because I was coming into this job without any previous professional experience. Um, and I had only had so many lifestyle experiences, right? So I developed skills like, you know, over time. So for me, it's like, ooh, I, you know, I looked at kind of quote unquote extreme stuff that I hadn't had a chance to experience yet. And I was like, ooh, I really want to be able to do that in sessions. Like that seems really cool to me. So like stuff like needle play, for instance, was something I learned along the way via taking some classes and duoing with other doms who were um, very experienced with needle play. And also playing with really experienced needle bottoms. So stuff like that is really exciting and fun to me when I get to acquire new tasks. Okay, next question. Can you still cheat while being polyamorous? And what's your favorite implement? All right. Um, favorite implement. I have my favorites around the dungeon. You know what I mean? I have my favorite flogger. I have my favorite crop. I have my favorite, you know, on and on and on, right? So actually recently I'm like, I want to do a scene where I only use stuff that I like never or rarely use because I bet I would surprise myself. You know, I have my old faithfuls of like every type of implement. So I don't know. One, I'm what I will say for this um, question. I will say this particular whip. There is one really lovely whip that I like to use and why maybe it stands out from my other like favorites is because I almost rarely, uh, like I rarely get to use it. I almost never get to use it because a lot of people don't like, um, whips, right? Even impact bottoms, like experienced impact bottoms, um, don't like a whip, right? So that's one that like, I love using it and I've got a favorite whip, but like I almost never get to. So I'm going to say that. Can you still cheat while being poly? Um, I think I'm going to take the word cheat as like violating a relationship boundary, 
you know, uh, like, um, violating a, uh, relationship contract, you know, like, so monogamous relationships has have this non-written contract that they can't fuck other people. You know what I mean? So if you fuck someone else, then that's a violation of that. Right. And that's cheating. That's what's called cheating in polyamory. It's like, each kind of dynamic, each relationship has a different, either written or not written. Some people actually write these things down for um, polyamory and for kink and stuff. Um, Every relationship kind of has a different set of, I want to say, I'm going to say rules, but what I mean is like things you're comfortable with, you know, thing and things you're not comfortable with, right? So it's not polyamory. It's kind of the thing of like, and, and I mean, I'll, I don't know, I'm going to venture to be like, this is a good way for relationships to run. It's like, you know, somebody tells me they're not comfortable with me doing something. It's like, okay, um, how can I support you? If it's something I still want to do, you know, it's something that... I want to go forward doing, then it's the options are how can I support you so that you feel the best way about this as possible, as comfortable as you can get with this thing, what needs to happen. You know what I mean? So I think a lot of polyamorous dynamics, um, that's more the question. It's not like you can veto what the other person, uh, does and you can't control what your other people do you know what I mean it's that person's choice it's your partner's choice to be like okay what's more important to me continuing to do this thing and now I have to manage you know this partner of mine not being super comfortable with it um is it more important for me to continue doing the thing or to, you know, you can choose to stop doing it for sure, but they don't have control over whether you can do it or not. You know what I mean? So I think, can you cheat while being poly? I think you can violate um, someone's comfortability surrounding something. You can definitely violate boundaries and whatnot. Um, but it's kind of a little more, it's not quite as black and white as that. Um, if you told someone this is a boundary and they violate it, you know, without engaging you in these types of conversations, then yeah, that's what I would call cheating. And also I'll add, I guess, you know, if you're doing things, if the relationship contract, you know, quote unquote, non-written or, or written, um, you know, says, says stuff like, I want, you know, I would like to be able to know about all of these things. I want full disclosure. So if you're hiding something and you know, the person wants to know what you're doing, you know, that's a violation, you know, unless it's in the contract of like, I don't want to know about it because that's totally valid. You know, you can go around doing that. Or I only want to know these things. Like, I don't want to know about the sex, but you can tell me about a fun date you had and I'll feel lovely and compersion-y hearing about it. Um, But I prefer to not hear about the sex and that's fine. Some people love to hear about the sex. You know what I mean? So if it's like, if you're doing something you know you shouldn't be doing, then I would consider that cheating. I will say that. Okay, next question is... 
What's one piece of advice about BDSM that you were given and has stuck with you? So BDSM, I know they probably just mean kink, but BDSM specifically is like power dynamics. So it doesn't apply to fetishes that are outside of power dynamics. So what's one piece of advice about like power dynamics, basically, that you were given that has stuck with you? I don't know if I was given tons of advice, actual advice, um, I think there were a lot of things I thought, you know, independently of people giving me like advice, things I thought at the beginning that, you know, were revealed to be untrue or very different, you know, but there are definitely things that like, even, you know, in my lifestyle play long before I started doing this professionally, you know, certain bits and pieces of information that were, that were thrown around, like stuff like the you know, the submissive or the bottom is the one that actually has all the power, stuff like that. And especially being in customer service, like the client, I'm here for the client. Like it's, it's kind of funny how when you are topping and doming professionally, it kind of, you know, it can often more closely resemble service topping, um, you know, cause I'm there for the client. Um, we're doing what the client wants to do. The order of the day is satisfying the client's wants and needs and creating this fantasy for them, right? It's not this stereotypical thing of, well, I'm the dominant one, so I get to do whatever I want to do with you. That could be a fantasy, but that's a fantasy that the submissive or the, you know, the client, the bottom is bringing to me to be like, I want it to feel like this. And I'm going to be like, okay, but I'm still going to be like, okay, what are all the activities you want to do today? What are things we need to stay away from? What's the vibe? What's the energy? You know, how are there things you like to hear, like things I should say? Um, You know, do you like it really strict and stern? Do you want it more playful? Do you want it more sensual? Like, so even if the fantasy is you know, you can do whatever you want to me. That's an unethical scene, you know, for me to do with somebody who I've never played with before. And, you know, that's a huge liability if I were to go and just do that in a professional setting. Like, so, um, yeah, I guess that is something that still rings as true as ever. But, you know, (laughs) the submissive in the bottom um, has all the power, especially so in a professional setting, I think. Okay, two more from Instagram, then we're going to take a break. And I'll do the second half about my Twitter questions. So someone just says, how come you're such a babe? (laughs) Which is something this particular person can get away with saying I wouldn't, um, I was actually quite, quite um, surprised that more people didn't write questions like that. (laughs) In my, you know, little IG story. Um, because that's common, but I really appreciated (laughs) the person that said this is very cute. Um, My advice is to not go around doing stuff like that with people you don't know, though, especially professional dominance. Um, And then one more that says, it's kind of a very vague general question. What do you think about sissy and chastity cage? (laughs) This is from a person that's ordered a lot of customs for me. This is a particular uh, kink that they are very, very interested in. Um, 
I am very interested in denial. That's one of my favorite kinks. Like, tease and denial. I will tease and denial you all fucking day, you know? Um, so a chastity cage is, like, one of the ways you can play with denial and orgasm control and stuff like that. Um, so that's something I'm very interested in, and I will do that in custom videos. You know, I've got a cage here that I can kind of do a little J-O-Y point of view, you know, kind of chastity cage video. Um, I don't, I'm not interested in having anyone like in chastity, really. Like, I was doing that professionally for a while where I had ongoing things with people that, um, you know, there was orgasm control in chastity. Um, not cages, but just orgasm control, like LDR, like from afar. So I did do that professionally for a while. I'm not interested in doing that currently. Um, but this other thing that this question mentions, sissy. So sissification, um, if you're not aware of it, it's a form of like feminization, usually involves degradation, um, and it's tied to humiliation sometimes. Um, I have to be, I'm personally, I'm very careful in the way I practice this as a top and a dominant and, and also as a professional, because for me, kink is about subversing, subverting, um, narratives, you know, um, like, like gender norms for, for instance. So that's what I want to do as a professional dominant and as a, just a dominant in general and a dominant, you know, in, in the bedroom, I want to subvert traditional gender roles, toxic masculinity, for instance, stuff like that. And this whole thing about like putting people down, putting men down, for instance, um, for being effeminate, um, or calling them, you know, calling them a sissy, you know, telling them they throw like a girl, like that is traditional gender roles. You know what I mean? I would be enforcing the gender role that women are weak, you know, by calling a man a sissy, right? So this type of, inf of um, this type of scene would have to be heavily negotiated with me, right? Because the intentions of feminization play are very important to me. I don't want to put someone down for being quote unquote feminine because like, you know, to me, gender is a fucking social construct. So, you know, if you want to wear, if you want me to dress you up in a pretty dress, like dress up someone who's not a woman, um, then I'm not going to degrade you while I'm doing that. That's a limit for me. Right. Um, if it's about exploring gender play, I'm totally down for it. You know, if, if anyone of any gender wants to explore this side of themselves in a positive way, in a playful way, then I'm down for it. But you understand how like the enforcing like a current narrative, um, you know, as opposed to um, flipping it, it on its head, right? So yeah, in a nutshell, that's what I feel about sissy and chastity cage. So okay, let's take a break. Um, you're going to hear from my sponsors, and then we're going to come back with more questions. This time, my Twitter people. Okay, bye.
let's take a moment to talk about our lovely sponsors, shall we? First of all, ComeAsYouAre.com is a trans-owned, trans-operated sex shop that also happens to be feminist and anti-capitalist. They carry only the best sex toys and want to give you the best price possible. Next time, use the coupon code BEDPOST, that's B-E-D-P-O-S-T, when checking out at ComeAsYouAre.com. Club M4 wants to officially announce that they are back open for business, baby, at 1989 Dundas Street East, Mississauga. Club M4 is the largest sexually charged lifestyle club in the GTA, and they are super excited to tell you about their Saturday Couples in Single Women Only events. To keep updated on their events, go to at Club M4 events on Instagram, or specifically for their kinky events, go to at Depraved events on Instagram. And of course, head on down to clubm4.com to see what a lifestyle club by swingers for swingers is all about. Alrighty, hello, hello, welcome back everyone. So if you are one of my Twitter followers and you want to hear your question, this is your time to shine, baby, because we've got lots more on Twitter. So, okay, these are good questions. Can I just say, like I've done calls for questions in the past and they had not they have not nearly been this good. <laughs> These are there are a lot of good questions here. Um, both in the last, you know, the first half of the episode and the second half. So I'm just like bravo. Love it. Um, because this question is great. Okay. It says, What is the right level of detail to include when requesting a session with a pro dom? What should the balance between communicating wants and expectations and allowing the dominant the freedom to control the scene? Like that is a brilliant question. If you are a, you know, a client or a potential client um, or a potential bottom and submissive and you are asking yourself questions like that, fuck, fucking bravo. (laughs) Like fucking... Like that is, um, that's exactly what the types of things we need you to be thinking about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because what is really common, um, is there are a few things that are really common. They will tell you their whole life story, um, without even telling you the service that they want to book you for. I'm like, great. This thing was four pages long. Like this is the intro email, I've never met you. You haven't even really said hi to me yet. Um, you and you haven't told me what's what. What is all this about? Is this a custom video you're requesting? <laughs> Do you want to book me for a session? Like, what is this? And it's four pages long, and they don't actually give you information. Um, that's common. More common than you think. The other thing is like going into really explicit detail of their fetish like right away, again, like before saying hi, um, you know, often before asking like, what, again, what, what service do they want? Like if you're getting in a professional's email, before you're going into any details, you need to tell them what the fuck you want. Like what meaning, like, are we booking a session? Are we booking a Skype session? Is this a custom video? Are you looking in an, uh, 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 looking at, like, are you interested in an ongoing dynamic? Are you like, are you ordering pics? Like, 
do you have a question? Like, just tell me what the hell you're doing here before telling me going into details about your specific kinks and fetishes, right? Um, so that's just like a baseline thing. I think this question, this question is actually asking, um, you know, in the next couple emails, basically, it's like, okay, I've requested a session with a pro dom. And like, how much should I be saying about my wants and needs, uh, you know, and expectations for the session? Um, what is respectful? You know, how much is like way too specific and way too kind of indicating every beat of the session. <laughs> and in response to that, I will say that every professional is different in the way, um, how loose they want the scenes to be or how planned they want the scenes to be. And also how involved, you know, the submissive is going to be in, in what is happening what's going to be unfolding. Everybody's going to be different. So I will tell you what I enjoy. I enjoy, and I've kind of referred to this earlier in a question, like let's come up with kind of a loose outline, an outline together. I need to know what you want to do for sure and what you don't want to do. Um, you know, and if you have other specifics you want to tell me versus, um, or, or I mean about, you know, little, little details that you want to give me, like, um, then I will welcome that. What, so that, that's perfect. That's a balance of like, okay, tell me the things you want to do and kind of how you want it to feel. Other than that, I want to be able to have kind of creative freedom as to what this looks like, right? I want to be able to improv, improvise a bit. What I don't like and what is difficult for me and what is way more work than it should be is like when people give me a full script, you know, either for a custom video or a session, like I've, I have a session coming up that is so detailed. I'm like, how do you think I'm going to be able to, like, you want me checking my phone every five minutes to make sure I'm on track? Like, am I supposed to spend hours like memorizing this like six page Netflix miniseries? You know what I mean? Like, even with a custom video, it's like, tell me your kinks and, you know, some things you want me to say. Uh, give me, you know, a wardrobe request. Other than that, let me just do my thing. So for me, that's the balance. Okay, next question. It says, my question for you is, does sex work affect your romantic relationships? Um, for me, it you know, it's something that I spend a lot of time doing. So it is very much a part of, you know, how I interact with my partners. You know what I mean? Um, so in that way, yes, like it affects them. It doesn't negatively affect them. And I mean, I've set up my relationships so that I'm with people that are sex work positive. And I'm not saying it's bad or wrong to have feelings about your partner doing sex work because it's not but um in general yeah like my partners in the past have been very supportive of sex work they will you know I have partners that you know shoot videos with me for instance so they'll do some sex work with me I've had partners who are not interested in doing that but are maybe interested in like talking about the marketing side of it and, you know, like us having an open exchange of ideas as far as that goes. Um, you know, there are partners where 
I talk about things I'm struggling with and help they help me maintain things like my boundaries and stuff like this and figure out, you know, troubleshoot stuff with me. So I've chosen partners that um, I'm able to talk about my job like anybody is able to talk about their jobs, you know, in in any other job, like whatever job you have. I want to be able to come home and be like, oh my God, that was great for whatever, you know, and, you know, if they're interested in hearing about it, they'll be like, well, what's great about it? And I'll talk about it for a bit. Or the opposite of like, oh my God, that was tough. And they're like, oh my God, how can I support you? Um, you know, do you want to talk about it? what can we do? I, I have partners like that and I want partners like that. And, you know, if I'm ever looking for new partners, like dating, then again, I'm going to front load that information that I'm a sex worker, that I'm a pro-dominant because I want to weed out people that are going to be, that are anti-sex work, you know? And again, feelings aren't bad or wrong, but I want people to be able to opt in to that. You know what I mean? If right away reading that, they're like, Ooh, that makes me really uncomfortable. Then perhaps I'm not the best partner for you. So, you know, there are lots of other people who aren't sex workers that you can date. I also like date people who, you know, they've usually, honestly, they've usually dated a sex worker before. So there's that as well. Okay. Next question is what led you to choose your profession? Um, I'll do this one as quick as possible because I think I've talked about it a lot. But um, basically, I was I had my I had my hands in a lot of different pots as far as sex work, sexuality work, sex education work, sex work adjacent type stuff. And this was just another job in that universe that I chose to do, basically. And I do a lot of different types of sex work. So and I've been doing this type of work for a long time. So, you know, to go into pro-domination, in-person pro-domination wasn't like a huge leap for me to take. It wasn't a huge leap for, you know, for instance, since we just talked about partners, for any of my partners to make, you know what I mean? They're like, oh yeah. And even friends, they're like, honestly, I thought you were already doing that. Like that was, if I ever had to come out, even family, you know, they're all like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, I love that for you. I can see that for you. <laughs> I'm very openly sex positive. So, um, yeah, what led me to choose uh, being a dominatrix professionally was that um, an opportunity came up and it was something that I've always kind of considered and wanted to do. And when an opportunity came up, I took it. Okay. What is one thing you wish you could tell the you that was just starting sex work? Um, there's another question, but I'll answer this one first. Um, I think this is funny because there are a couple questions that kind of said this thing. So I was kind of trying to think. Um, <laughs> and this is kind of answering the question in a roundabout way. But like when I first started at Ritual Chamber, Shahrazad was very, um, I don't want to say adamant, but she was vocal about like, don't talk to your clients in between sessions. Like don't do ongoing dynamics with clients, you know? Um, which is funny because pandemic, I had to do that. And I did a lot of that. Right. So 
it's funny that like she had said that and then I was I found myself doing it throughout the pandemic and hated it and it was insane and annoying and like a lot just way too fucking much and it's so funny because when we were like we had a couple staff meetings um you know throughout the pandemic and she had said that reiterated that again and at the time I was doing a lot of that and she was like don't do it. Just save yourself the the trouble and don't do it. And in my head, I was like, okay, but like, sometimes you can though, right? And and sometimes it's, you know, fine, which is true. Sometimes, you know, some people do that and love it. But it's so funny, like maybe a year later of doing it, I was like, oh, fuck this. And I had absolutely no interest. And, you know, had been through the journey (laughs) of like, hearing it from her and then doing it anyway and then regretting it (laughs) so yeah Sharazad did tell me she was that one thing um that she told me when I was just starting in-person sex work (laughs) and I you know I wish she would have told it to me again or more emphatically perhaps (laughs) or maybe I wish I would have (laughs) listened oh my goodness um and then the second question this person asks is do you see a parallel between polyamory and prodoming or a lifestyle dominant having multiple submissives how are they similar or different okay so i'm not sure if i totally understand this question but i'm gonna riff on it for a little bit so Uh, here's the thing this person may not realize is that in my personal life, I'm a switch, I'm switchy. So I don't have multiple submissives in my personal life. So I think they're asking, what's the difference between being a lifestyle dom and having, you know, multiple partners who are submissive and being a pro dominatrix and having, you know, lots of different clients who are submissives, you know, how are they similar and how are they different? So, yeah, I can't speak from personal experience on that because I've never been a lifestyle dom who has had multiple submissives. I've always kind of had switchy relationships where we can switch back and forth and I have multiple kind of switchy relationships. Um, And how that was different from me doing it professionally is like... um, You know, I, I play with a lot of people for the first time doing professional play I have to be really good it's a whole different set of skills um you know of playing with partners who you know really well and know their kinks and know their bodies really well and you've played with them lots of times it's a whole different set of skills to do that versus being able to meet someone for the first time get all the information you need and then to execute a scene um that they end up feeling great about Those are very different. You know what I mean? And like when people first become pro kinksters and all their experiences like with one partner, it's like, well, there's going to be a really steep learning curve for you then because, you know, you play with this handful of kinks with this one person and there's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kinks. And these are going to be with people you've never played with before. So it's actually very different um, in that way. And, And also... It's different in the way of like how I mentioned before, you're kind of as a pro 
or this is my experience with professional domination anyways. I'm, I'm in customer service and I'm essentially service topping um, versus dominating. You know what I mean? So in your personal life, you know, with people, and this could also extend to like with clients that you see many, many, many times, you know, it's very different from playing with people for the first time. Like you can then not, you know, not do as much service topping. You can actually be doing real power dynamics because a lot of the times with pro domination, it's like you're giving the fantasy of femdom, you know, you're giving the fantasy of domination, but when you analyze it, it's not really the reality of it isn't, isn't really that, you know what I mean? You're giving one hour or two hours or however long they book the fantasy of domination, but it really is more like service topping. Whereas, okay, I've gone on long enough on this. I think you get what I'm saying, right? Oh my goodness. Okay. The next question says, deeply interested in doing some kink exploration. How do you recommend poking about into possible proclivities when you haven't a clue where to start? Um, well, I would take this time to get as much information about kink as possible. Whatever kink you're looking at, um, exploring, you know, if, if it's power dynamics or if it's, um, you know, literally any other fetish or kink, I would try to spend a bit of time researching it, um, by yourself, you know, um, you can be following prodoms like myself. You can be listening to, uh, kink positive podcasts like myself. Um, you can be, you know, reading books, going on the interwebs. Um, you can be, you know, just even exploring within doing solo play, um, and that I don't mean you're doing like dangerous kink activities by yourself. Don't do that. But um, you can be even just stuff like watching porn. You know what I mean? Um, watch a bunch of different videos, look at different pictures and kind of take note of how you feel about them and whatnot. Um, and I mean, porn literacy is definitely a thing. Also, like what a lot of people will do in that scenario is they'll see um, you know, some porn isn't really representative of the reality of the play. For instance, you know, that same thing I'm talking about, like the fantasy of whatever it is versus the reality of it. Um, so, you know, a lot of porn, fetish porn, kink porn, isn't going to show you the reality of what it would be like to do those types of scenes and what that might look for you, look like for you. So there's going to be a bit of, um, porn liter literacy thing that you're going to have to learn of like, okay, this is the fantasy and it's important information to get still and valuable information to get just, um, you know, knowing what fantasy you want to do, but then there's going to be a bit of a learning curve when you take this to a real place of actually exploring this with someone else. Um, if you're kind of just, you don't know where to start. I don't know. I'm a dominatrix. I'm a professional. So I always recommend like book, you know, book a session with a professional because they will help you explore in a safe um, environment, you know, um, or, you know, even just book a consult with a sex worker to help you explore. So yeah, that's what I'm going to say. Okay, next question. What if you know someone in the biz, but are curious about how it all works, but don't want to out yourself? 
or them changing the dynamics? Okay, let me see if I understand this question. Okay, so you know someone, like someone that you already know, you notice that they do sex work or that they're a dominatrix, but you don't want to, you don't want them to know that they, you know them? (laughs) Changing the dynamics, okay. Meaning like, yeah, should you bring it up or not? And how, how would you bring it up or not? Um, that's tough. Yeah. You don't want to out yourself and you don't want to out them. That is the most important thing, right? Doxing is a very real thing. Um, and it's very dangerous to do that. So I would say, leave it the fuck alone, quite honestly, because you don't know how they feel about it. Me personally, I wouldn't mind if someone say, this has happened to me before, someone I went to high school with booked me for a session and they show up at the door and I'm like, they look familiar. And he's like, I just want to (laughs) say first that I do know you from high school and I want to make sure you're okay with that. For me personally, I was like, oh yeah, I'm fine with that. I don't care. But there are a lot of people that would not be okay with that and don't assume that they would be. So honestly... If they know you and they're going to come out to you, then great. Then you can talk about it with them. But that is not up to you to decide. I will say that to be safe. Okay, next question. Happy vacation, it says. Why, thank you. It was lovely. This might be a broad question, and I apologize for that already, Lady Pym. But how do you see the future of sex work? Are you positive because of a new generation that deals more openly with the issue or more negative because there are always setbacks politically? Yeah, it's tough. I do have like a conflict, um, you know, about those two things because it's almost like a lot of rules, regulations, politics are regressing as far as sex positivity goes, like social media and online stuff, you know, it's kind of a free for all for a while. And then now it's all regressing um, back to where, you know, sex workers can't be anywhere online. And you have to be so careful and all this stuff. So it is tough. It's not an easy answer of like, do I feel good about where this is going or where this is not? Because I'm already kind of seeing, (laughs) like, where this could all be heading to, like, um, what's the TV show called where women are, like, (laughs) the, with the red capes and the, and the white hats and the, um, it's a Margaret Atwood thing. You know what I'm talking about? Um, and it was shot in Toronto, a lot of it. So it's, I'm in Toronto. (laughs) It just feels all very scary. I don't know. I want to be hopeful. I try to be hopeful about the future of sex work, but also it really looks like it's not going in this really open sex positive way, does it? So I guess that's my answer on that. Next question says, how do you help or encourage your clients to find balance and fulfillment from their kinks and fetishes and fetishes? working them into the rest of their lives? Yeah, this is a great question. I don't know if I have a perfect answer for this, but I'm going to go with it because I have dealt with a client who has come to me about this issue in his life, like where he feels like he's kind of, he was a 
an ongoing, not an ongoing, he, he was somebody, a regular of mine that throughout the pandemic booked my online Skype services. Um, and he at one point said, can we just do a consult where we just talk? And I was like, yeah, of course. And in that, he kind of uh, came out to me saying that he actually feels like this is coming, becoming compulsive to him. He feels like he's obsessed with this kink, you know, and obsessed with me kind of, um, which I really appreciated him being forthcoming about that. Um, because I could see kind of some, you know, there are some flags um, surrounding that a little bit along the way. And um, what I said to him is because he had to keep, you know, his life in his life, regular life outside of hiring me. He didn't have anyone to talk about this with. Like he didn't, he wasn't open at all about this. And even just talking for an hour with me about this took such a weight off his chest. He was like, I feel like a 180 different, you know, just talking for an hour about this. And I'm like, my advice was like, the more often you can do this, the better, you know, and I get how you can't be open to everybody. I'm not open to everybody in my life either. But I bet there are more people in your life who you can talk about stuff like this with than you think. And if that really is not the case, because sometimes it isn't, um, you know, there's an online community, there's an online kink community. Um, also, I mean, you can hire professionals to do this. I'm like, if you want to book me for a consult to do this, you know, once a month or whatever it is, just to be able to talk openly about stuff like this, you know, and like the struggles you're having with, you know, the ethics of this, because some of the kinks can be taboo, you know, um, and you get a lot of conflicting messaging, you know, surrounding, like I was saying before, like the narrative the gender narratives, maybe, you know, that we're all taught, um, you know, and then the subversions of those narratives. So there's a lot of conflicting information happening, right? So I'm like, if you want to book me just to talk about it once a month, I'd be happy to do that. Also, like, find a kink-friendly therapist. That would help, you know, if you really have no one in your life, then um, then that's something that I would recommend you you do for sure. So the question again, how do I help or encourage clients to maintain that balance. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have any other, maybe I, what I do will, I'll recognize when, I'll recognize, you know, again, those little red flags and I'll address them sometimes. Like if it is an ongoing thing, I've had ongoing people where I've realized that I'm like, oh wow, this, like, I think I'm I feel like I'm too much of a center for them in their lives. And I can see how that might be problematic. So I might bring up things like my boundaries. I might change the boundaries of our quote unquote relationship uh, to help facilitate them, you know, not seeing me as often or not having as much access to me as they used to, stuff like that. So stuff I can control surrounding, okay, this seems like, you know, I'm the most important person in their life. And I perhaps shouldn't be. So how can we kind of wean this person off, um, you know, to help them maintain more balance in their life? So I'll say that. Okay, we have two questions left from the same person. So, okay. What characteristics do you find sexy in a dominant or submissive? Is there one trait that stands out 
above the others. What characteristics do I find sexy in a dominant or submissive? Um, I find people that know themselves and know their limits and their boundaries and know their kink. I find that really attractive and really sexy. You know what I mean? Um, honestly, like what happens a lot is people who are really green, really new to kink come and see me professionally and they just don't know anything about anything, right? For me, that's not someone who I would find it, those qualities I don't find attractive and I wouldn't pursue that person like in a lifestyle way, right? I'm at the point where I'm a very experienced kinkster on both sides of the slash. I need people, um, you know, I don't, I'm not talking about I need a certain amount of years or a certain amount of partners, but I need the experience of, I need someone that I can trust to um, maintain their own boundaries, basically. And people that are invested in, you know, the give and take of, of dynamics like this and, and the give and take of kinks. Like, you know, I need people that are self-aware surrounding their kinks for me to like, that's a really attractive quality to me, honestly. I don't care if you've, how much like time-wise experience you've had, but like if, you know, if you're asking the right questions and stuff like that, I'm like, ooh, okay, you're a good person to get to know better. I'll say that. And then last question, with all your experience and expertise, <laughs> I love that, what are things that you haven't tried, but you would like to? Oh, man. Um, I think something I still haven't done yet is as a bottom or a submissive, I'd like to book a dom for myself, a professional dominatrix for myself, or a professional dominant. Um, that's something fun. Along with that, like something that I might kind of do before I do that is I might like book a professional dungeon space for myself and a partner, a play partner. I've done that with like a kinky space, but it wasn't like, you know, it, it wasn't the real the real deal. Like if I could book, I, maybe I might want a different dungeon than Ritual Chamber just because I work there, but a book in a like MedFet, for instance, to book a MedFet space that I could bottom in. Yeah, that's like, that's something I, I want to do for sure. Um, <laughs> with all my expertise and experience, what are things I haven't tried? I mean, I, I have been doing this a while and I do have a lot of experience, but there are a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of things that I don't know. And I'm the first person that's going to admit that, right? So I'm just really looking forward to like developing more skills with things. Um, I'll, I'll maybe go back to MedFet again. There are a lot of MedFet stuff that I don't know that I want to learn, right? Like I haven't actually done stuff with like suturing yet or with like catheter catheterization oh my god I said it um and like different stuff like that some more fine skills in the medfet sphere I will say professionally you know I want to take some more classes and workshops and duo with people who really know what they're doing so I can really get up close and personal and learn some of that shit so yeah I think that is it we fucking did it thank you again everybody who submitted questions that was really helpful 
so that I can put together this episode real quick and air it. I really appreciate it. Um, I'll just do the intro. It, it's so, it, or the outro, I mean, for the podcast. I'm so confused because it feels like I'm recording a Patreon right now, but I'm not. This is a regular episode, so I'll tell you the regular stuff at the end. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at the Lady Pim One. That's where I'm the most active. If you must follow me on Instagram, I'm at the Lady Pim and at the Bedpost Podcast. Um, we have a Patreon, everybody. If you like this episode, you will love the Patreon because it's a lot of this. That is patreon.com slash the Bedpost Show. We also have a YouTube channel, which we're thinking about, you know, revving back up. So that is the Bedpost Show on YouTube as well. Um, Mm, oh, the person that does the original music for my podcast, that is Stephanie Copeland. And you can find out more about her at stephcopelandmusic.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for submitting the questions. We will see you next time with a fun and fun, fun and funny. Oh my God, I fucked it up again. Fun and flirty, sure. Fun and sexy guest is what I usually say. Here in the studio talking about sex and sexuality on the Bedpost podcast. Get fucked, everybody. Goodbye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network.